Thanks for joining us at Mountainside Anywhere. We're praying that God will use this teaching to reveal himself to you through his word. We trust that in seeing him, you will be moved to take your next step in loving God and loving others. If there's any way we can serve you, please reach out through mountainside.online. Well, good morning, everybody. How's everybody doing? Good morning. Good. A, uh, a great video of uh, declaring our thanks to God this morning, reminders of truths about who he is. And uh, we are in this season of, of Thanksgiving, and, and I call it a season because, you know, that's what's on our calendar in, in essence, uh, but isn't it interesting that in this, it's, it's a season essentially in that, you know, our, our feeds have been full of people's, you know, Thanksgiving Day 1, thanks, you know, Day of Thanksgiving Day 18, and um, the last month people just commenting about their, their uh, specific attention to thankfulness. When we know that this is a season because of the time of Thanksgiving, but yet we're called to this thankfulness, this, this grateful spirit uh, all the time, right? That it is a part of the, really like the fabric of who God has created us to be and called us to be. But yet, uh, as we, we think about our culture, we think about the, the reality that is the rest of the year especially, but even throughout this, this season, um, wouldn't you say it, it probably just the opposite might be true, that really instead of it being an art form of thankfulness, uh, really, uh, people have gotten really creative like art form of being critical and negative, harsh, um, and that really has permeated our culture to a degree that's embarrassing. Um, but uh, it's so true for all of us that we, we struggle in this way, that... Uh, it's almost as though because of the struggle of sin, there's like a switch on our hearts and the switch could be pointed to thankfulness and gratefulness, but the switch can so quickly and easily be flipped to the other side, which is like coveting and envy, which is a prideful thing, making us the center of our universe. And I'm going to talk a little bit about that, but I, I want to even share a story about a few, you know, it was quite a few years ago now where... I noticed this one particular day when we took a trip with the kids down to Glens Falls to run some typical errands, and the switch on my own heart was kind of flipped toward the critical, negative, like, and how quickly maybe you even will uh, connect to this. So uh, it, f quite a few years ago now, but I remember that day, we get in the car and we drive out, and, and for this period of time, some of you remember this, every time you get on, it seemed like, every time you got on to 87, somebody was dumping trash for a while. Like it was, I don't know what was going on, but every couple of weeks it was like there would just be trash strewn up the highway uh, right at the entrance to 87 around the corner here. And it's just it's like, are you serious? Like that is so frustrating and so like just uh, uh, like what an awful thing to do that somebody now has to come along. So like that kind of started my heart in this like kind of critical, negative, uh, bitter attitude to whatever this person is who keeps dumping their trash. And, you know, and then you, halfway down the road, you're, you're thinking about the rising gas prices and how your mileage per gallon is not getting you as much as it used to. And, and on the way down, there's this situation where there's like tractor trailer, tractor trailer, tractor trailer. And then there's the car in the left lane who's not going by the slow tractor trailers. It just kind of stays at that pace that's kind of just frustrating, right? You know what I'm talking about. 
And so you travel at that frustrating pace for a period of time, and it just grinds on you a little bit. Well, then we get down to Glens Falls, and uh, we, we go to, you know, the grocery store where you need a quarter to get a cart, but there is no quarter. It's so now you're like a beggar of a quarter in the parking lot trying to get a quarter so that you can get a cart to haul your groceries. Um, so we eventually get a cart, and um, we get in. And as you're going through the grocery store, of all the things at Aldi, but of course, Aldi is the place where, you know, get it while it's available because sometimes it's gone. I don't even remember how they state that on the signs even, but it's like, you know, there's just a period of time you might get the really great things, and then it's all the rest of the stuff. So you kind of have this complaining spirit of all the, all the things that are at the grocery store that's loaded with amazing things of all the things that you're actually not able to find there. Um, so you're thinking, now I'm going to have to go to a second large store of items in order to get the things I can't find at this large store of items. And, uh, and you just have this critical spirit. Well, then you get to the checkout line. And of course, the line itself is long, but when you finally realize, we forgot the bags right? And at Aldi, it's especially like, you know, because you got a full cart, and now you're like trying to collect random-sized weird boxes in order to fit your groceries. Anybody done that before there, you know? Um, or you have to choose to buy more bags of bags, um, which now all of us have many bags of bags of bags, but they never seem to be in your car at the time that you're going grocery shopping. Somehow that happens. So then you're pushing your cart of groceries with odd size shaped boxes out to the back of your car with your kids who didn't get what they wanted inside so they're not happy anymore and you're getting into your car and you're just placing random items from your grocery trip in the back of your car which is also frustrating and as you're driving from there things are falling on things and it's just like chaos right well we're on our way home and now you're complaining because you're getting less miles per gallon going uphill back to Scroon Lake, then you were going downhill to Glens Falls, and the kids are super hungry, so you stop at McDonald's in Warrensburg, perfectly placed McDonald's off at exit 23. It's amazing. Now, it's great because, you know, after a slightly frustrating, critical, spirited trip with the, you know, the pointer of my heart toward, you know, all the things that aren't godly in my response. Um, now, it's like, there's nobody in line. Isn't this amazing? McDonald's in Warrensburg. This is going to be a fast trip. There's nobody in line. And you order a couple McDoubles and no drinks and a thing of fries, and you're like, oh, like, this is, they've probably had them on, on tap for the last three hours. Like, just throw them in a bag. Here we go. But you get up to the window, and instead, the person says, uh, I'm sorry, sir, could you pull up into spot number one? We'll bring your stuff out to you in just a couple minutes. And you're thinking, isn't this so that you know, when things are really busy, they can move you out of the way for the person. There's nobody behind me, right? And my critical spirit is just taking, anybody have that kind of experience before? We pull back into the, the, garage, the, 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 the driveway, push the button for the garage, and it's like, oh, the lawnmower is in the garage. I forgot about that. I'm going to have to actually walk into the kitchen with my groceries rather than, you know, three steps. It's going to be a hundred steps. Like, First world problems, right? You get into your kitchen that's the size of most people's homes around the world with your refrigeration and all of these things. And then five minutes later, my son's like, there's nothing to eat, right? How easy is it that our heart can move in that direction when you know the reality is just the opposite of my perspective that day is actually what's true, 
the blessings, the reality of my life is just overflowing. My heart should have been overflowing with thanksgiving for all the things that were around me the entire time. And yet our hearts, because of the nature of our hearts, so quickly point to the side of coveting, envy, grumbling, critical spirit, complaining. Today, I hope that as we we spend some time in the Word of God, that we come away with just a, a, a decisive decision to be devoted to thanking God constantly. And as we go through today, we're, we're going to be challenged with some very specific things to thank God for. But lest you say, well, I've never had a trip to Glens Falls like that. Well, let me just uh, bring on your, your great Thanksgiving spirit with something that maybe you were uh, connected to or a part of just this last Friday. Go ahead and play the video. Black Friday frenzy, an estimated 115 million shoppers hitting the stores. Bedlam in the aisles of some of the nation's biggest retailers. Shoppers fighting over garments at this Victoria's Secret in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Deep discounts, triggering a free-for-all. Bargain hunters at this Georgia Walmart wrestling over pots and pans. The commotion veering out of control at an Alabama mall. Shoppers scrambling for safety as gunfire... Throwing hands over pots and pans. Like, what, where, what is going on with our hearts, right? It, it is a, the problem that every one of us have with our hearts, and that's what creates this, this bedlam, this crazy chaos regarding just stuff. Because by nature, we're really not a thankful people. We want more, we want better, we want it faster, we want it now. And I don't think I'm the only person here who's like that. How quickly we are a group of people who forget blessing, who forget victory, who forget the good things, and instead we focus on the have-nots rather than the haves. Today, in a season where people have been obsessed with, at least according to their feeds, trying to develop a thankful heart, I hope that we today will say, we will choose to be thankful. But the tragedy is that we will continue to struggle and many will not choose to be thankful or grateful. We struggle with this heart of ours, the sin that's in our heart causes us to want to be the center of our universe, the center of attention. We struggle with the coveting and the envy. And because that sin makes us the center of our world, essentially what creation reveals is not that we go around this world and continue to fill ourselves up with what this world offers, but really what we've proven by the dissatisfaction that the creation around us has revealed to us is that it all points with a big giant arrow to there's only one who actually does satisfy. God put eternity on the hearts of every man, and yet most men go around in this world in this time and try to make what is essentially built for us in the future, we try to bring that paradise essentially to this world now. And so we gain and try to gain and get and have and really all it does is, like I said, it points to the fact that this life doesn't satisfy. It's not built to. That is really only to come in the person of Jesus and in the presence of God for eternity with him, not in this life, but the next. I think there's this 
first story here in Scripture that points this out so clearly, our struggle in our hearts. It's found in Luke chapter 17. And you've probably heard the story before, but I want to remind us of it. It says, now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus travels along the border between Samaria and Galilee, and he's going into a village where ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance, which is a good thing. They call out with a loud voice. They're shouting to Jesus from a long ways away. Jesus, Master, have pity on us. So these guys have leprosy. Now maybe because we don't have this in our culture, when you think of leprosy, you may only think of like the funny song, leprosy, leprosy, all my skin is falling off of me. I'm only half the man I used to be because I believe in leprosy. Yeah. Never heard a leprosy song? In Leviticus chapter 13, it gives some insight into this group of people who would wear their torn clothes, have to cover their lower faces. People would scream at them that they were unclean. It's a disease that's constantly eating away at their flesh, having oozing sores, years of their life without any intimate communication or touching, never being hugged. It's a disgusting disease, and these men, 10 of them are out there screaming, yelling, because they've heard of Jesus, the miracle maker that he is. And in verse 14, when Jesus saw them, he says, he's already, Jesus already has a plan, he says, go show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. That process must have been unbelievable. As they're walking along in the direction to the priest, because that's what Jesus said, go, go show yourselves to the priest. And on their way, like, the, the healing is miraculously happening on the process of them going in, the, in them being true to believing by faith what Jesus told them to do. They're going and they're being healed. But what does it say happened? One of them, there's ten, one of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. He throws himself at Jesus' feet and thanks him. And he, he happened to be a Samaritan. Jesus asks, we're not all ten cleansed. Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Today we sit among hundreds of people and those in the future today that are listening online, included in a group of hundreds of healed death sentences. Those of us who have believed the word of God had faith in Jesus alone. And yet, how many of us, after receiving the greatest gift of salvation, a healed death sentence from sin, are essentially like these guys, off to the priests. We're on with our lives. Essentially not coming back, shouting and praising with loud voices, sitting at the feet, looking at Jesus, saying, thank you, God, thank you, God, thank you, God. Today, we're going to look at a few different passages of Scripture and ultimately have four specific takeaways for us that we would hopefully just be reminded of, reminded of, reminded of, that we would be uh, challenged to thank you, God, thank you, God, thank you, God. When you think of a person like Paul, he's a guy who, it would make complete sense for him to be the most complaining, grumbling, critical, bitter, unforgiving guy in his life, the Apostle Paul. I mean, Scripture makes it very clear 
all the shipwrecks, the beatings, the stonings, the running for his life, the sickness, the, the, the internal struggle that Paul had continually that he talks about. God, would you take this thing from me? And yet Paul, over and over in his writings, calls us to always be thankful. We, we famously probably think of the book of joy in Philippians that he writes from a prison. And he says, I, I am constantly praying and I'm always rejoicing. You're like, what is going on in this guy's life? That Paul, of all people, could be the always thankful, grateful guy. In the book that he writes to the church in Colossae, Colossians, I want to highlight a few passages today, and we're going to move through these passages and highlight a few others. But the first is in Colossians chapter 1, verse 3, and this is, this is this Paul, this Paul that we know these realities of his life, but he says, we always pray for you. So every time that we pray for, when Paul is praying for the church in Colossae, chapter 1, 3, he says, we give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So every single time he prays for this group of people, he is thankful for them. This is chapter 1. We see again in chapter 1, then in chapter 2, then in chapter 3, then in chapter 4, always be thankful, always be thankful, always be grateful, always be thankful. A call to thanksgiving could it be that Thanksgiving is a critical piece to how Paul has not been complaining or critical or bitter or angry or resentful for all the things that have happened in his life? Let's see what this passage is in Colossians has to say. The very first thing that I want to call us to today is that we would come into the presence of God like the one who returned, who was healed, and we would look into the eyes of Jesus and we say, thank you, God, for your grace. Thank you, God, for your grace. In chapter 1 of Colossians, Paul continues that when he prays for them in verse 11, it says, We also pray that you would be strengthened with all his glorious power, so you will have all the endurance and patience that you need. May you be filled with joy, always thanking the Father. What is he thanking the Father for? What is he saying that you should always be thankful to the Father for what? Look what it says. He, the Father, has enabled you to share in the inheritance that belongs to his people who live in the light. For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. This is the grace of God. The moving from the kingdom of darkness truly slave to sin with no hope, but he says moves from kingdom of darkness, adopts you into his family as a child of God, and now you're from darkness to light, and this is based on his purchase of your freedom, which is his death, his blood that was shed on the cross. This is the graciousness of God. Paul is challenging this group of people and challenging us to always be thanking the Father for his grace in the process of our salvation. The grace, we don't deserve this. We didn't deserve to be moved from kingdom of darkness to light. We didn't earn it. We can't work to get it. It was a free gift. Ephesians 2, you know it. It's by grace that you're saved or rescued through faith, and not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of any works, lest anybody tell you otherwise. Anybody can boast about, oh, you just got to do good. You just got to do more good. Ah, even more good. Better keep going with that good. Not a thousand lifetimes of good can purchase what God paid for on the cross. 
Romans chapter 1 through 11 is the highlight of the doctrines that teach us about this grace, the salvation that we have through Jesus. I think one of the greatest summations within that, that section of Scripture is in Romans chapter 3. I want to call our attention to it because, as we say, remind us, God, that we need to sit in your presence and say, thank you, God, for your grace. Look at what Romans 3 tells us, starting in verse 23, about this grace that he gives us. For everybody, everyone has sinned, and we all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God in his grace, freely makes us right in his sight. How does this happen? He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he was held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past. For he was looking ahead and including them in what he would do in this present time. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness, for he himself is fair and just. He makes sinners right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. Can we boast then that we have done anything to be accepted by God? No. Because our acquittal is not based on obeying the law. It's based on faith. So... We are made right with God through faith and not by obeying the law. The first challenge today of our thankfulness, our gratefulness to God is to sit and, and to look into the eyes of the one who has given us his grace. Say, thank you, God, for your grace. There's nothing. Grace is getting something that you don't deserve. I don't deserve it. I can't earn it. I can't, I can't do anything. It is completely the gift of grace from God. Thank you, God. For your grace. Paul in Colossians said, always thanking the Father, always thanking the Father for his grace. The second thing I'd like to call our attention to is that we would sit in the presence of God and say, thank you, God, for growing me. Thank you, God, for growing me. You say, it sounds a little weird. I'm thankful I'm not who I was when I was 20. Are you thankful that God continues to grow you? We pray every week, God, would you, through the power of the word of God, change me from the inside out to make me more like you. And he will. He does. I, I hope that you understand the, the unbelievable gift that he doesn't leave us in the state that we are, even at the moment that we trust him as Savior. Think about, if, if some of you have been here for decades walking in the Spirit of God, when keeping in step with the Spirit, and he's changing you, as Paul said, from glory to glory. Back in the, the uh, book of Colossians, now in chapter 2, we looked at chapter 1, always be thankful to the Father for grace. Chapter 2, verse 7, let your roots grow deep down in uh, roots grow down into him let your lives be built on him and then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught and check this out connected to thanksgiving you will overflow with thankfulness how regularly do you say thank you god that you're growing me that you're constantly changing me that you're not leaving me the way that i was but you're making me more like you every day psalms chapter 1 I was talking to somebody last night about 
that, that very first verse, which is where we, we, you may remember many times over, we, we talk about the first verse. It says, blessed is the, the one who doesn't, you know, sit in the, the seat of the scornful. And, and there's a process there of like uh, walking by or standing, walking and sitting. And it's the person who gets involved in sin. And we, we regularly would say that sin would take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. That's the process of the first verse. Um, because it's saying blessed is the person who doesn't do this. So you could kind of say like cursed is the person who follows sin and goes down this pathway of sin. But right after that verse in verse 2 of chapter 1 of Psalms 1, it says, but they, the, this person who is choosing not to go down that path road of sin, that person delights in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. They are like trees planted along the river bank, bearing fruit each season. Their leaves never wither, and they prosper in all that they do. We love the outcome of that verse, don't we? The outcome is amazing. Planted by the river of water, you're, you're just soaking up the sustenance of the word of God, and it's allowing you to bear fruit in season and prosper in your life. That's not a worldly prospering that is not a success necessarily by the world standards but by God's standards of success delighting in God's word meditating on it day and night that is the process of growth let your roots go down deep in him so that you could reach out far forward him it is a process that God has of growth in our life and every day we should say thank you God thank you God for growing me Thank you, God, for your grace. Thank you, God, for your growth in my life. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. I give you glory is the third thing today. Thank you, God. I give you glory. This is the, the, the area where we kind of connected to the, the, the opening illustration of the struggle of our heart, like the needle going toward the, the have-nots versus the have. This is the Lord, help us to turn every blessing that we have in our life into praise. Because when we choose to not turn every blessing in our life into praise, there's a temptation to turn it into pride. That, that we again become that center of our universe, kind of become our own idol, and we're exalting ourselves rather than glorifying God. So we need to constantly stay in a place of, I thank you, God. I want to give you glory when, we're, when we stay in that place, it, it kind of puts us in our proper position that we're not glorifying ourselves. We're not the center of our universe. He is. He's the priority. He's the preeminent one. So, God, I want to constantly give you glory. I'm going to keep deflecting all the things in my life that are blessings and turn them into praise. Uh, look at God's word in Psalm 63, 4. I will praise you as long as I live. And in your name, I will lift up my hands. I will be fully satisfied. As with the richest of foods, with singing lips, my mouth will praise you. Every blessing that I don't turn back into praise can turn into pride. And that's why we must stay in a place of thanksgiving to God, choosing to live my life in a way that gives him glory. We can choose to live our life like we've talked about his grace. That is, thank you, God, for my salvation, for the the justification, sanctification now is the growing part. Romans 1 through 11. All of these, these truths of what God has done. 
as we understand and we're growing, we recognize that our life as we live can be lived for, continue to live for me or for him. And in the battle of my flesh versus my spirit is a constant battle that happens. But if I truly want to be a person that is like a Paul in Colossians, where I'm, I'm always thankful to the Father. I, I, I want to constantly have gratefulness and thankfulness be the true, like, constant season of my life. Then I want to get up every day and in my thankfulness of his grace and thank you that you're growing me. Now in this process of growing, help me to live for you. And the process of living for him is to now ultimately say, God, I'm going to live my life in a way that brings you glory. Back to what Paul has for us in the book of Colossians. We looked at Colossians 1, always be thankful. Colossians 2, overflow with thankfulness. Now Colossians 3. Chapter 3, verse 12, he says, Since God chose you to be the holy people that he loves, and now he starts in in this passage, and you're going to see all the different highlights that are here are all areas that he highlights in this section of ways that we can choose to live our life in a way that gives him glory. So that when you get up tomorrow, you say, I want to live my life to give you glory. Here are some very specific areas of your life and my life that I can choose to put into practice that will deflect glory from me to him. This is a glorifying God lifestyle. He first says, you must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Doesn't sound like the fruits of the Spirit. The first thing here is that you want to live your life in a way that deflects glory to him, gives him glory, then walk in the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit. He then says in 13, make allowance for each other's faults. Forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. This is a gracious, forgiving life. I'm walking in the Spirit. I am also gracious and forgiving in the attitude of my life. This glorifies God. Above all, verse 14, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. Above all, it's like Corinthians 13. You know, more, the pinnacle of what you have in your life is love. If you don't have love, you're nothing. That's what he's saying here as well. Above all the things that I'm going to mention in this passage, you better have love about all of these things. It is the uh, most like Jesus that you could display in your life is to love. So above all, love. I'm going to walk in the spirit. I'm going to be gracious and forgiving. I'm going to be loving. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. It is in control. Peace is in control of your life. In control of your heart. Be a peacemaker. I'm going to walk in the spirit. I'm going to be gracious and loving. I am going to be a forgiving person. But I'm also going to be a peacemaker. This brings glory to God. Let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts for as members of one body you're called to live in peace. And always be thankful. I give glory to God by being thankful. A thankful person. Then he goes on. Let the message about Christ... The gospel, in all of its richness, fill your lives. You are overflowing with gospel truth about what God has done in your life. It goes back to that being thankful for his grace. But then he says, teach 
and counsel each other with all the wisdom that he gives. So I'm overflowing with the truth about the gospel, and now I'm allowing that overflow to spill into other people's lives, to teach them and to counsel them in the wisdom that I'm learning from the actual gospel life that I'm, I'm absorbing from his word, right? This is somebody who's a disciple maker, a disciple maker. I walk in the spirit, gracious and forgiving, loving, peacemaker, thankful disciple maker, who then sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God, <coughs> excuse me, with thankful hearts. Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. Thankfulness again, but as a worshipful, a thankful worshiper. worshiper. Walking in spirit, gracious, forgiving, loving, peacemaker, thankful, disciple maker, who is a thankful worshiper and also a thankful representative of God. Look at what he says, and whatever you say or do, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Thankful representative of Jesus. But then, this is chapter 3 of Colossians, and chapter 4, he calls us again to thanksgiving. In verse 2, he says, devote yourself to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. Paul in chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, and chapter 4 of Colossians is calling us now, especially in chapter 3 and 4, if you want to live your life for the glory of God, you're going to walk in the Spirit, be gracious and forgiving, loving, peacemaker, thankful, disciple-maker, worshipful, thankful representative of Jesus, who according to chapter 4, verse 2, is devoted in your prayer time, devoted, yourselves to prayer with an alert mind, a sober mind, and again, a thankful heart. He starts in the first chapter with thanksgiving, and he ends with thanksgiving. Everything in in Paul's life is he's committed to being grateful and thankful. Now, that word devotion in verse 2 there is a tough one because we'd love to be devoted to something, but devotion comes through a pathway of hard things. You want to be devoted to, and you can name whatever the, the particular habit or, or uh, uh, hobby may even be. And here he's calling us to be devoted to prayer. The pathway toward devotion comes from an initial desire. That desire becomes discipline. The hard thing has to happen first before it gets easier. So I desire to have a devoted prayer life. I desire to be a thankful person. But you're going to have to be disciplined in these these truths of God's word over time. When you're disciplined over time, it changes and turns eventually into dedication. Now I'm dedicated to this thing. I've proven my life over time. Desired, disciplined, dedication. Over time, dedication becomes devotion. He's calling us to be devoted in your prayer life, but there's a process to get there. So today, so far, we've been challenged to... Like the one who came back and praised loudly the person of Jesus who healed him, we've been challenged to come back and to say, thank you, God, for your grace. Thank you, God, for growing me. Thank you, God. I want to give you glory. And the very last thing, thank you, God, for your goodness. Thank you, God, for being a good, good father. James 1.17 says, every good gift and perfect gift is from above. Every good and perfect gift is from above. Everything that we have, everything, every single thing in your life that you say, that's a good thing, that's a good thing, they're all from God. 
every single thing. You stop and think about all the good things. My trip to Glens Falls, I was surrounded by goodness. And yet my focus, the little arrow of my heart, was over to the sinful, self-centered side. When I could have stopped and said, thank you, God. Thank you, God, because you are a good God. Look at the good things in my life. The principle here is that I am not an owner. I am a steward. I am not an owner. I am a steward. Austin, you can go to that next slide. I'm not an owner. I'm a steward. We've talked about stewardship a, a little bit in the last few weeks. It's come up because of different principles from God's word that we've been in. But I think we wrestle with this so often. The giver of good gifts in James 1.17 hasn't given us ownership over the gifts that he gives. He has just allowed us to be steward of those gifts. The proper definition of stewardship is really given by the author himself, God, the creator. The Bible begins with God who creates. He's talking, he's doing, he made the earth and mankind, and therefore he's the owner of all things. He created, and then he gave responsibility to humanity to manage the creation. We don't own anything here. It's all God's. Bible's pretty clear, like in Exodus 19.5, when God says, all the earth is mine. Psalms 89.11, when the psalmist says to God, the world in all that it contains, you have founded them, or you are the owner. They're yours. We own nothing. When we leave earth, we take nothing with us. God is the absolute owner, and because he's the absolute owner, he's the absolute sovereign and king of the universe. He's entrusted each of us with our own sphere of influence and stewardship on the earth, and now he watches. How do we manage what he has given us? How are we doing with this stewardship that he's called us to? The talents, the treasures, the testimony of our lives that he's given us. We're not owner, we are steward. Anything that is good in our life today, every single thing that is good, it has all come from God. I remember a conversation that my mom had with my grandfather when I was little, um, and my mom had been praying about a, a specific need, and uh, my grandfather found out that we had this need, so he pulled out his wallet and he handed her, I mean, this is 35, well, 40 years ago, I guess, somewhere in there, pulled out and gave her $100, which was a big deal, and... Um, my mom, with tears in her eyes, just thanked God in that moment, in the presence of my grandfather. My grandfather in that time said, don't you thank him, I gave you that. My grandfather firmly believed that all that he had, he had worked for. He had enabled himself to be able to take care of that need for my mom and for my family. And of course, you know, it crushes my mom's heart at the time because she so desperately wanted my, my grandpa to understand um, that God used him to answer the prayer that she had prayed in her life. My grandfather didn't see it in a biblical worldview or biblical perspective that all that was good in his life was really because God is a good God. Today, do we need to stop and remember and say, thank you, God for all of your goodness. Did you touch your clothes this morning and say, I have nothing to wear? Did you complain that the coffee wasn't as good as you wanted it to be or that it wasn't as fast this morning, maybe when you got to church as you wanted it to be or whatever the case, I'm sure there was a million things. It could have been something that 
you know, caused your heart to tick toward the side of critical spirit and to not see clearly the blessings of God this morning. Today, we live a reality of three meals a day, bed clothes to wear, cars to drive or public transportation, a job that pays at minimum wage at least 32 times greater than the average of what people make in the average of the world today. We can upgrade stuff. We have access to health care that is unprecedented. We have so many friends, community, opportunity for it at least if we reject it. We today have the opportunity to worship freely. And yet, as I have vis- visited developing nations, and some of you have too, you see places and people where they don't have any of those things that I listed, none of them. And yet, in the moment, in that place where I've witnessed people who have virtually nothing, they've arrived at a place that is profound. Smiles on their face, overflowing hearts of joy, because Christ is enough. It's like what Paul said in Philippians 4. For I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. And I've learned the secret of being content in any and every circumstance, whether well-fed or hungry, living in plenty or in want. I can do all things through Christ. That's the key. I can do all things through Christ who gives me the strength to do those things. When I have absolutely nothing but Christ. And for some, you've experienced that. And it was a profound moment in your life where you realized, I can be completely fulfilled and completely satisfied all in one person, Jesus. The whole creation points to that. That all that we've obtained and all that we see in the world and the lavish, like, overflowing lifestyles, and yet those people still try to gain more because they're not satisfied, they're not fulfilled. It all points to the fact that you can't find it in creation. It is in the person of the creator. Jesus himself is the one that you're looking to satisfy yourself with. Thank you, God, for your blessings. Thank you, God, for your blessings. God gave Noah a plan for the ark, the ability to build the ark to save his family. He gives the Israelites bread from heaven in the morning and fire by night, clouds by day. He gives David the stone to kill Goliath, Jonah a fish to swallow him, to spit him on the shore, and then a word which saves an entire people group. He gives the Virgin Mary the faith to obey and to give birth to Jesus, the wise men a star to lead them. He gave the world, all of us, the Prince of Peace, the Lamb of God, the Savior, a rescuer that we all so desperately needed. Today, he gives you a peace that passes all understanding, the Holy Spirit to convict you, strengthen you, encourage you. He gives us his word to guide us. He gives us our health to bless us, friends, to love us, a life to enjoy. God is completely good, constantly good. He can never not be good. He can never be less than good. He's unchangeably good. Everything that our God does is good. Thank you, God. For your grace. Thank you, God, that you grow me. Thank you, God, I want to give you glory. Thank you, God, for being a good, good father, a good God. This last verse we close in Psalms 103. Let all that I am praise the Lord. Let all that I am praise the Lord. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. I want to give you glory. 
May I never forget the good things that he does for me. Thank you, God, for your goodness. He forgives all my sins and he heals all my diseases. He redeems me from death and crowns me with love and tender mercies. Thank you, God, for your grace. He fills my life with good things. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. You are a good, good God. We started with 10 lepers who were healed. 10 people whose lives were radically changed, radically altered by Jesus. Nothing they could do to save themselves. He radically rescues them. But only one returns. That one who returned sat in his presence and looked into his eyes. The author and perfecter of his faith. The one who would give his life as a ransom for all of us. And he praised him. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Today, we hear that story and we might condemn them. But yet every day, we travel down a journey and step after step, walking in his grace, allowing him the opportunity to grow us, walking past good thing after good thing after good thing in a life that he calls us to give him glory. And many times we never stop to say thank you. Would you pray with me? Father God, I pray today that our hearts are moved with thanksgiving, overflowing gratitude for your grace, your goodness, the growth that you've brought to our lives. Lord, I pray that ultimately today we'd make a decision to live our lives for your glory, that this process of sanctification would change us and that we would every day uh, be on this journey, this mission with you, that we put into practice those things we read in, in Colossians chapter 3. Lord, that we truly would choose to be gracious and loving and forgiving and walk in the spirit. We'd be unified and in harmony with each other as believers, as the body. That we would dis be committed to discipleship. That we'd sing praises of worship to you all the time. And that our hearts would be overflowing to the point where people know that we live a pattern of thankfulness. Lord, if, if this thankful pattern of, of, that we see in, in Paul is what could keep Paul and all that he endured in his life from bitterness and anger and resentment and all those things, then Lord, I'm sure in our lives today that if we can keep on rejoicing, if we can continually, constantly pray and be devoted to prayer and thankfulness, Lord, then our hearts will be like Paul's and we'll find the pointer of our heart always pointing at, at being thankful and grateful, not covetousness or envy or criticalness. Um, God, I pray that this would be the, the attitude of all of our hearts and that we would, we would see this um, uh, just be per, like permeate our entire body of, and that it would, it would flow out of our body into this, this culture, into this town, that people would know us as a group of people who are just so thankful and grateful for all the good things that you have done for us. We ask all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.